This podcast was recorded on Bunurong Bunurong country. I pay my respect to elders past and present. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been stewards of the land, sea and sky for over 60,000 years. I would like to thank them for their continued contribution to science, conservation and education. Welcome to Weekend Birder. I'm Kirsty Costa, and it is my honour to share people's stories and advice about birdwatching. In this episode, we are heading to Dharawal country in Sydney to meet Stephanie Chambers and Amy Rank. Here is how Amy got into birding. I've always loved animals, but I never really took the time to really look at every bird I saw. And um, I moved to New York in my early 20s. And especially there, I literally thought there was just pigeons. I didn't even look twice, you know, and then randomly you'd see a cardinal or something like that, which is like so magical and beautiful. But I, it, it didn't really ever see something that I, I don't know, I, Stephanie really opened that door for me. And their passion is so like contagious and birdwatching is contagious. Once you kind of like start noticing it, it becomes something that you kind of can't stop. So yeah, I, I blame Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, many years ago, I was at a holiday party and my great aunt Millie, who was like a classic New York character, someone who lived in the same apartment for 50 years, was telling me a story about these wild green parrots that lived at Greenwood Cemetery, which is a large, very famous cemetery in Brooklyn. And I did not believe her. But at the time, I lived close to the cemetery. And so I brought a friend, headed to the cemetery and took a look. And there, sure enough, there were green parrots in Brooklyn. It happened to be winter. And I just felt like something in my brain exploded and I was just hooked ever since. And it's actually a really interesting story about the parrot. So of course, my Aunt Millie, who was a very dramatic New Yorker, told me this story about how um, someone from the mafia was breaking into a crate at JFK. When they opened the crate, several green parrots flew out. And so, of course, I thought the whole thing was made up, but actually that's kind of the story from the 1960s. And it's, yeah, parrots from Argentina who were shipped to the U.S. to JFK to be sold as exotic pets um, wound up living at Greenwood Cemetery. So from that point on, I, I had a pair of binoculars at the time, but I went out and bought like a proper camera and then just fell. I'm sure everyone can can relate, but once once you fall down that rabbit hole, I mean, there's no going back is there. (laughs) Stephanie and Amy founded the Sydney Bird Club in 2016. They developed a website that has accessible information for Sydney siders and Sydney visitors. They also organise fun and inclusive group birdwatching walks. One of their favourite places to go birdwatching is Centennial Park. Well, I think especially um, moving back to Australia, none of my friends, you know, they thought it was cute what we did on the side, but they weren't really like ever going to join us, go bird watching, like get up at five in the morning and drive somewhere and bird watch. And I felt like we kind of wanted to make it a little more fun for people. So first off, we were trying to really just have our friends go bird watching with us. And then it kind of snowballed there to like, we kind of started calling it Sydney Bird Club. And then we would call it Birds and Beers. And I feel like 
from there on, it kind of just grew because we kept meeting more people who wanted to join our walks. Like it was like a Facebook event. That's literally what it was at first. And it was an open Facebook event. And then people started joining it. It's it's funny because we um, would tell, so I didn't know anyone in Australia and we moved from New York to Australia. And so, you know, the whole like first couple of months, we're just trying to get Amy's friends to become birders. And so we came up with the motto birds and beers because we would say, oh, don't worry. Let's go out. You'll be out in nature. Don't worry. It will be like 90 percent beers and 10 percent birds. And then, of course, we would get there. We would make them we'd make them bird watch. So it was like 90 percent birds and 10 percent beers. But I think we've had a few successful converts, don't you? I definitely think so. And then that's something that what kind of caused it. We wanted to be birding to be accessible for people more like, you know, my friends where it's really straightforward. It's you don't have to know all the birds. It's just about finding nice local places that give you kind of tips of where to walk. I feel like you would know this, but you get down rabbit holes of going people's threads of where they go birding. And no one, you don't sometimes get the exact area, but we try to make it like something that you could pick up on a weekend and not have to plan yourself so much. Like we've done it all for you. We even tell you where the bathrooms are, yeah. you know, like we're just trying to make it more accessible and a really easy platform. Just a, a very low barrier to entry on the website. We've got a few self-guided walks. I can hop on the website. Um, I can go out. Um, like Amy said, um, I know where the bathrooms are. Um, I know where I can get a good cup of coffee or a pint afterwards. So I'm a fine artist. Amy's a graphic designer. We wanted like the skills that we have. We wanted to use those to just share our joy. Yeah, it's just really sharing our passion and making it as so accessible for everybody because I know I need that on a website <laughs> and that's that's pretty much what we created is something that we wanted. So Sydney is blessed with so many incredible spaces within the city. One of our favorite places to go is Sydney Park, um, which is close to our house and it's just it's an incredible park. It it's been totally refurbished and made into wetlands and the variety of birds there is really impressive for what you would think of in like an urban space. So I would say for me, that's one of my favorite places to go. When the summer comes, it's one of our favorite places to go and see the Latham snipe, which comes down from Japan. So yeah, I pretty much anything that's, we're so lucky where we live. We got the Cooks River close by, mm. but Sydney Park, yeah, is so special. There's nothing better when a visitor comes by, like the Yellow Tails in Centennial Park. Mm. And that is, oh my God, you, I'm that crazy person running around that that whole gardens there. I feel like <laughs> you're going to see me for every year. It surprises me. I don't know why. I'll still have so much joy every time going there. Yeah, Centennial Park's amazing. Um, there's a huge variety of bird life there. And it's full of surprises, even if you've gone and you see the same birds each time. Um, like, for example, the last time we went, we made a, we made a stop to visit the Powerful Owl. We looked up and we like can't believe it it has half of a flying fox hanging right out and we were like wow well we haven't seen that before we've seen, we've seen possums we haven't seen that before yeah it was pretty gruesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh. people often contact stephanie and amy to get advice about identifying birds and there are two birds that everyone asks about at the start of every sydney summer it's funny because we get these, I mean, they're almost works of art because they're like, it's like a, a Bigfoot sighting, right? Like someone sees something 
incredible. They don't know what it is. They rush to get their camera, which is usually their phone, and they take this blurry photo and then they email us. And in the email, I think, Amy, you were describing like how people often list the description in a Well, sometimes like it sounds like it's prehistoric or it's like never been seen before that they'll say it was like mixed dinosaur with like pigeon. And, you know, those details, you know, it can be difficult to sometimes figure it out. So at the start of each summer, it's like clockwork. We get a flurry of emails in our inbox with these blurry photos and descriptions like it had the the head of a pterodactyl and the body of a goose. And it was making a sound I've never heard before. And we know um, just from experience that um, it's always the channel built cuckoo. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's actually become this really like a very sweet time of year because it's It's the start of summer for us. When those emails start pouring in before we open the attachment, we make a little like, do you think it's the channel of the cuckoo? Do you think it's the channel of the cuckoo? um, (laughs) The beak always gets it. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, it's always the channel of the cuckoo for some reason. And the the white-faced heron. People email us about a lot. The white-faced heron, I would say, is number two for sure. Dinosaur legs. (laughs) (laughs) So the channel build cuckoo Um, The photos that we usually get, you can't tell what the bird is, but it's often by what people describe as the behavior or the size of the bird or the call of the bird. And so Chanelbil cuckoos are are fascinating birds. They live in um, New Guinea and they come to Australia to breed. So that starts around August through October. And then they go back north in February. But, you know, not to describe a a prehistoric animal, but the sounds that they make, if you were to imagine what you think a pterodactyl would sound like, that's what the channel-built cuckoo sounds like. It's so large. It's the largest cuckoo in the world. And it's got a very pale gray body, um, long tail feathers with black and white stripes, um, a very big bill, and this incredibly bright red eye lure. And so you see it and you're really startled because you're like, I've never seen that before. There's this massive bird making very loud sounds. Um, what is it? Where did it come from? Oh, it's, yeah. If you didn't get from the description, it's quite evil of a bird. <laughs> and they're total opportunists. They outsource the parenting. So they're cuckoos, um, they're brood parasites. And what that means is that they lay their eggs in other birds' nests. And um, for the channel big cuckoo, those other birds are typically in the crow family. So that's um, pied currawong is usually their their victim, um, magpies or or others in the crow family. But yeah, it's pretty wild because then what happens is these birds, which are so massive, then leave. When the eggs hatch, you have this enormous chick and it's much larger than pied currawong could expect. And so they often, so some in the cuckoo family might kill the other other um, hatchlings, but what the channel bill cuckoo does is it out eats its competition in the nest. So it's just really an aggressive eater. And not to bring it back to the mafia again, I'm sorry, um, but there's even something, I can't, I can't remember exactly what it's called. It's like mafia theory or something um, it's with cuckoos. I can't remember if it applies to the channel build cuckoo, but it's sort of like the there's a theory that the pied currawong knows it's not its offspring, but it's terrified of the channel build cuckoo because they are so large. And so 
they're yeah incredible birds that people often dislike very strongly and i think you could argue for good reasons That is a truly creepy call from an awesome bird. Check out the ABC's What the Duck podcast to find out more about the hidden world of cuckoo nest stealing. It is eye-opening and a link is in the notes of this episode. Stephanie and Amy also connect to the birds around them through their art practice and the work that they do through their business, Outer Island. Stephanie says that birds have long played an important role in the history of art. So I went to art school and I love art history. And if you look back into different paintings and sculptures throughout like the centuries, what's really fascinating is that the the story of birds is often interwoven. And it's interesting because it often tells a story that might not be so obvious. So for example, um, oil paintings in Europe that, that have cassowaries in them, right? Like how did someone paint a cassowary? Was it from a specimen that was brought overseas or was it from a cassowary that brought overseas and put in someone's aviary? I personally love um, the role that Ibis has played in ancient Egypt. Um, I find um, their their story arc is is interesting how they've gone from literal gods, you know, to what people would call bin chickens. But yeah, in ancient Egypt, there was a god with the head of an ibis. And so um, the actual bird was considered so sacred that it was often mummified and put into tombs. And so it was just very well revered. And the the funny thing about it is why the ancient Egyptians loved ibises so much is actually because they ate garbage. Um, On the banks of the Nile, um, they would eat garbage and they would eat refuse. And so they were essentially cleaning the water and they had such an important role to play in that. Flash forward, now people are like, oh, another ibis, you know, hanging out of a garbage bin, but oh, how the mighty have fallen, I suppose. Well, just for us, for example, like, you know, we have our other business at our island and that's really truly like our love for animals and bringing the magic of Australia and really kind of celebrating it in our our own way. And when we, um, you know, get inspired for the art that we create, it's all to do with our bushwalks and going birding. So when we do those walks, we always take a journal with us. We always draw what we see. We make color notes. You don't want to see my drawings because they're not as good as Stephanie's, but you know, we try to kind of ca- capture that feeling even to like um, texture into a rock where a bird might have been sitting to kind of like how the dapple of light with a bird. And it's always kind of fascinating. A journal for me lets me actually see more when I go bird watching because sometimes you can get trapped with your phone or your camera and your binoculars. It kind of lets me really kind of breathe in that whole scenery because that's also what's so magical about Bernie is like where you are. You actually are lost in nature at that moment, which I find really magical. I'm not a professional. I can't say I'll ever be an expert with birding. I just love it. I love birds so much, but it's not like I'll never be that person that will be able to identify and know the name straight away. But I, I'll tell you the details of that. That bird looked glamorous. That bird had hair. That bird, you know, 
that bird had legs, you know, like I'll give you those details. That's me. (laughs) Sometimes my notepad ends up on the ground because I'd rather be looking in my binoculars, (laughs) but yeah, it's kind of those little fleeting moments that are quite, quite special in those times. It's it's so easy to be inspired by nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right. Those, those moments are so fleeting. And so, we try to jot them down while they're still fresh. But I might just mention that um, when we do go bushwalking and birding, um, we always practice what we're doing in an ethical way. And so even though we are amongst the bush, we're, we're being very careful not to trample on anything. We follow campsite rules, leave it as you found it. Um, we don't use flash. We don't, we don't feed birds. We don't use fishing calls. But yeah, we are so inspired. And I think it's obviously not just us. I mean, the entire history of art, people have been inspired by birds. And it's just, yeah, something about birds. It's, yeah, it just, it captures something that you, you can't quite express. In upcoming Weekend Birder episodes, you will meet artists, illustrators and writers who combine their love of birdwatching with their love of art. I can't wait to introduce you. Stephanie and Amy spend a lot of time supporting beginner and intermediate birders with honing their skills. Here is some advice they'd like to share with you. The piece of advice that I'd love to share is advice that I got when I first came to Australia six years ago. And um, I used to work at the Botanic Gardens in Sydney. And um, I was talking to a volunteer there and she's an absolute legend. She's been birding for 60 years. She's seen almost everything. She's been almost everywhere. And I remember I had gone, I was telling her, um, you know, Anne, I really want to see a lyre bird. Um, I really want to see a lyre bird. And she's kind of looked me dead in the eyes. She said, Steph, I need to tell you something. She said, some birds, I can tell you where to find them. You can go out, you can see the bird, check it off your list. And some birds are just luck and a lyre bird is luck. And I I loved it. I always think of it because it's so true. Like sometimes um, when you go out, you go out for something specific. You don't see it. You can feel frustrated. Birds are are mobile. They they fly away. And so um, my yeah advice is to just enjoy it. Yeah, it's just all about having fun. You're going to go outside and sometimes you actually might not see anything. Like really, you like maybe get a magpie and you're like, what the hell? It's just, yeah, it's just remember, it's all about being outside and enjoying yourselves. Just try to always not get hard on myself. Like the amount of times I've gone to myself, I'm going to see an emu wren. I'm going to see an emu wren today. It says it's here. I'm going to see it. I've never seen it. And I might never see it. And you could try me 20 years later and I most probably still haven't seen it, but I will still have hope. <laughs> But yeah, it's just really about having fun. And you don't have to know every name. You don't even have to know what you're seeing, but just enjoy it and know like that is, it's so incredible that you got to see that bird that day. On their website, sydneybirder.com, you will find a list of walks in the Sydney area and all are free to join. If you're visiting Sydney or can't make the organized walks, check out a list of self-guided walks which are filled with ideas of where to go and what to do. And the good news is that there are clubs like the Sydney Bird Club across Australia. Don't be afraid to join any organization Mm. that's nearby. Like there's so many great people who want to share birding with you. Just do a little research, you know, and you'll find somebody who will want to take you on that journey. I, I really truly believe that. Well said, Amy. 
How great is it listening to awesome people who have a passion for birdwatching? I'm so grateful to Stephanie and Amy and other birdwatchers around Australia who are volunteering their time to bring people together in nature. The audio of the Channel Bill Cuckoo Call was shared by Mark Anderson on Xenocanto. Check out the links in the episode notes or on the Weekend Birder website to discover more about this interesting bird and where to go birdwatching in Sydney. <laughs>